Good morning, Rock Bible Church. Welcome to Rock Bible Church. We are a Christ-centered, biblically-based, compelling, casual community. We are compelling ourselves and others to Christ in casual ways that welcome all to worship, being a community that serves the greater community. Amen? Welcome to Samuel chapter 29. We're continuing our series in the ongoing saga of Samuel, Saul, and David. We're coming to a, a quick end here shortly. There's only two more chapters after today. Could be interesting. And yes, I just want to clarify something. No, I've never won the chili cook-off, and no, I've never won bingo at Rock Bible Church. That's good news for you because that means you have a chance, and you also, number two, know that it's not rigged. <laughs> it's definitely not rigged. In fact, it might be rigged against me. So uh, I'd like to thank Nicole personally for pointing out that I'm a big loser. <laughs> so good deal. No, honey, we're going to go buy chili this year. Turn it in. Yeah. By the way, that'd be called cheating. Right. If you buy it and submit it, that's cheating. Isn't that one of the commandments? Oh, no, thou shalt not cheat. No, that's not one of them. Right. Thou shalt not steal, though. It would kind of would be stealing, I think. Anyways. Um, we're first Samuel chapter 29. David finds himself in the land of the Philistines. He's made a deal with the king of the Philistines. And this is a problem. Because is David a Philistine? No, in fact, he won a battle against the Philistines to make sure that uh, the Hebrews knew that God was in charge. Right? Would have been chapters and chapters ago, years and years ago in their time that David defeated Goliath. And it was back when he was kind of in good graces with God, figuring out, starting his relationship when it was new and exciting. Anybody been there? Your relationship with the Lord's new and exciting. And you're finding out new things and somebody teaches you something. Wait, that's true about God? And you're, you're, you're elated? And I know this doesn't happen to any of you. It may have happened to me a little bit. You get fairly experienced in your relationship with the Lord and you walk down the road a little while and you might take some things to granted and maybe pray a little less than you hadn't before. And and then all of a sudden you, there's like it, it dwindles a little bit. And then we we talk about this idea of I need I need to be re-inspired. I need I need a revival. Right. You remember those the big movements of we're having a Big revival. Come on down the t- right? What's the revival about? Getting back into a good place with God. Uh, this is, I think, where David is. We're going to see David, he's making deals with the enemy. He's got to deal with the king. They're, they've made another deal that they're going to go out to battle. David's going to go with them. And throughout this chapter, we're going to experience kind of what we experienced last chapter chapter 28 one of our last villains was this question where's god i know for some of us we we like to ask that question something goes poorly where's god something wrong happens why'd god let that happen or for some of us we say why did god do that and we gotta figure out where is he what's going on and we got to make sure that in the midst of our absence from God, because he's, he's never absent from us, amen? 
but we get absent from him. We, we get nonchalant, take him for granted, forget. We get into bad habits, and sometimes we even go intentionally and make deals with the other side, right? As they said in that great theological work, Star Wars, um, we go over to the dark side sometimes, right? So this is where we find, we find David, um, and, and this is going to start and pretty much only exist in the Phil land of the Philistines for this chapter. And we're going to figure out what is God trying to say because it's still a chapter in Scripture. God has included, kept it, preserved it, had it written down that we might read it how many thousands of years later, right? So there's a reason for it. I think we're going to get to it at the end. We're going to see it's the, we're going to see, well, it's the ABCs of what do you do when God's absent, okay? Now, the Philistines had gathered all their forces at effect. They're about to go to war. We know that from last chapter. You can go online and watch it or do the podcast. The Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by, hundreds by thousands, they got a big army? Okay. Uh, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish. King goes last because the whole army's in front of him to protect the king. How many people, how many army men does uh, David have? Say 600. 600, okay, they've mentioned that a bunch of times. So Philistine's a much bigger army than David's little group, right? But who are they going to fight against? Israel, the Hebrews. He's going out to fight against his own people. Do we ever do things that are absolutely contradictory to our design, our creation, God's intention for us? We do that, right? There's things you can do with your body. There's things you can do with your time, things you can do with your money, things you can do with your mind that are detrimental. You find yourself in a bad deal. This is where uh, David is, and David's really pretty good with it. In fact, he's sworn to the king, hey, you're going to see what me and my guys can do, right? So they're in the front uh, of the king. Everybody else is in front of him. And uh, they're there to protect the king because that's what the king said. For, for the rest of my life, you're going to be my bodyguard. And watch what happens. Because how are the, uh, the rest of the Philistine army men going to feel about this? They're not good, right? This is a bad deal. Commanders of the Philistines said, wait, wh what are they doing here? <laughs> We're going to fight them, and yet we've got them fighting with us. This doesn't make sense, king. What are the Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commander of the Philistines, uh, is this not David? Hey, haven't, haven't you met David? This is the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and... Ooh. Bad pattern can last way too long. Years he's been with him. And since he deserted to me, I think Achish is figuring it out. He knows what's exactly going on. David's deserted. He's abandoned camp. And deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. So, is David carrying himself well, according to the king? Sure. But the commanders of the Philistines, verse 4, were angry with him. The commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back. Get him out of here. He may return to the place to which you have assigned him. Hey, whatever job you had him doing before, have him go do that. He shall not go with us to battle we don't want we don't want to fight with him lest he battle 
in battle, he become an adversary to us. He switched sides and we be in battle with him. We don't want to be in battle with him because we might be in battle with him. Like double meaning. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? How could he get back in the good graces of Saul and the Hebrews? I know. Wouldn't it be with the heads of our men here? If he started turning and, and, and tearing us up from the inside, boy, he could be back in the good graces. He'd be a hero again, right? In fact, is this not David, whom they sing and, uh, to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, David his ten thousands, and they just marched by him in thousands, right? We're meant to understand that subtle theme there. Uh, Akish called David and said to him, um, as the Lord lives, you've been honest. And to me, it seems right that you should march out in with me in the campaign. I found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me this, to this day. Nevertheless, those guys don't like you. Now, has he done everything right? For the Philistines, he has. Is he at odds with God? I would argue yes. But I think God has set him aside for a little while. See, there's something going on. David has said he will not uh, raise his hand against the Lord's anointed. He's not going to shed innocent blood or uh, take God's vengeance into his own hand. He says, if God wants to take Saul, then we're going to wait and we're going to let God take Saul. So David doesn't want to be around when Saul dies and he doesn't want to be his fault or any of his men's fault and so what has God done God has taken him out of the camp put him over off to the side now there's a battle that's about to happen and is David going to be there Ooh. what if God set David aside and allowed David to make some bad deals with the enemy to put him in a place where he cannot be blamed and is not a part of the fall of Saul. Watch and see, because that's about to be what happens. Right? Akish tells him, hey, you're not going, you're not going with, they don't like you. Right? Uh, so, go back now, verse 7. Go peaceably, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. Right? Just, just let it go, David. You're going, to be, you're going to be sidelined on this one. I know you've done everything right, and we're going to sideline you anyways. Has it ever happened to anybody? You felt like you were doing everything you were supposed to be doing, and for some reason, irrational, unfair, untrue, evil maybe, somebody decides, eh, go sit over there. Get your thumb and your other thumb and just twiddle them. Do nothing. Yeah, you're capable, you're intelligent, you're caring, you're conscientious, all that stuff. But don't do any of that. Just go sit over there. You ever been sidelined? Makes me angry. Scott, that sounds like you have anger issues. Yeah. We all do. We all have emotions. And when not fair happens... I don't care that my dad told me my whole life that fair doesn't exist and that it's a dirty F word. 
Stop functioning as if that's something because there's going to be times where unfair... Ha- in fact, it's going to happen regularly where you're a better player, but they're going to pick the other guy because he's a couple inches taller than you. And that's it. And you're going to sit for a whole season. You don't get to play competitive soccer because they decided to take Tim. They thought Scotty was too small. That right there is unfair. Not that that totally happened to me. (laughs) What do you do with that, right? Here's what you do. You work your tail off for a year, even though you're not on a team. And Timmy does average. And next year when tryouts come out, you destroy him at tryouts. He goes home and they pick you up on the team. Um, we got to watch how we carry ourselves. Right? And David's being put on the sideline. And look what he says to get quiche. What have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered service until now that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord the King? <laughs> Is he swearing allegiance to the wrong king? Yeah. And he's doing it really, really well. And he's going to get sidelined. And praise God that he gets sidelined. Keith answered David and said, I I know that you're what? I know that you're blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to the battle. Get your outlines out. Look at the top. It says 1 Samuel chapter 29. And it says, nevertheless, comma, blameless? Question mark? Here's the idea. You're going to find yourselves in less than ideal scenarios. Has it ever happened? Uh, it does, God. It happens all the time. Sometimes daily. Most of the time, multiple times a day. Right? What's what's our agenda as those that follow Christ and claim the name of Jesus that uh, follow the Bible and we're Christ-centered, biblically based, right? All that stuff that we say. What's the agenda for those people when you get sidelined, when you get treated unfairly, when you get mistreated or abused? Or what? How do we how do we carry ourselves? You know, I think David's in the wrong here. I think he's making a deal with the enemy and the whole thing. And yet there's a weird thing still going on in David's, Dave, David's head. Wherever I am, nevertheless, I'm going to try to be blameless. Has he done well for the Philistines? Absolutely. There's no fault in him. It says he's blameless. In fact, you've acted like an angel. I'm super curious if Akish the king is referencing an angel of the Hebrew God or a Philistine God. But he's saying angel. I think he's using language that David knows to make the point. Now then, rise early, verse 10, in the morning with your servants of your Lord who came with you and start early in the morning. Depart as as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men. No argument, just... Very next couple words. David set out with his men early in the morning, returned to the land of the Philistines, but the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Ooh. Um, did David obey? A foreign king, but he did what he was told. Interesting. 
And Jezreel. The Philistines went up to Jezreel. Do you remember from the beginning of the chapter who's in Jezreel? Saul and his armies are in Jezreel. What's about to happen? Chapter 30. Next week. Fight! It's going to be awesome. Um, there's going to be a prize fight next week at church right here. I got tickets for you. Front row seats. Come on down. Okay. Uh, we won't be taking any bets because we know who's going to win. I th we think we know who's going to win unless you've read it. So that fight's coming, but this chapter ends. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. What just happened? Because that's in the story. We've got this weird narrative. Um, have we talked about God at all in this passage? Not really. We talked about his enemies. In fact, the only person that says anything about the Lord is a key. She says, as the Lord lives. The one time he's referenced. And so I'm looking through this thing and I'm looking at David and how he carries himself. And I, I was kind of impressed that although he was pursuing them, something improper, making a deal with the enemy, he still tries to carry himself with character and class, respect, responsibility. That's kind of weird. Why would that be important? Well, because if God's putting you on the sidelines on purpose to get you out of the way because he's going to go do something else somewhere else and wants to protect you from that, then when you're over here, do you just go off willy-nilly, do whatever you want? Well, God's abandoned me. I guess all bets are off. I'm going to start doing all the things all the other people do. Man, what a childish reasoning i love young people i get tired of their perspective though of well everybody else is doing my friends were doing it she did it too david goes through this whole thing and 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 in the words of akish look at the verse that i put on the outline right in the words of akish david acts blamelessly Whoa, I wonder if I could do that. In the midst of being mistreated or treated poorly or someone outright going after you, you ever had somebody really go after you? That's scary. We got that famous verse, you know, turn the other cheek if they slap you on, uh, and one side does turn the other cheek and slap the other. Oh, yeah. Everybody's got a plan until you get hit in the mouth, right? Famous theologian said that. Uh, Mike Tyson. Okay, thank you. All right. We are a little bit of a sports church. We're not, that's not required. We have very few requirements here, but it does help if you watch movies and do a little bit of sports. Okay, because that's half my references. All right. So, nevertheless, blameless. How do we stay nevertheless blameless? In fact, let's talk about what are the ABCs of sideline behavior. I said we're kind of a sports church, right? What's the worst place in sports? The bench. <laughs> the bench, right? The most, the worst thing a player can hear. Sub, short for substitution. You're coming off the field, right? Last year, uh, Doug and I were coaching at the high school. We went to sub one kid, and he screams in the middle of the stadium from the middle of the field. No! <laughs> I used to want to come off the field. 
And I kind of love that, right? But we get sidelined. It's regular. The Bible tells us in this life, you will have trouble. Most of it you will cause yourself. There's a way that seems right to a man, and its end leads to destruction, right? And Israel had no king, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's the book of Judges. It's a horrible book of all the psycho things that go on that should never happen because we get off track. We get off the path. In fact, we do this word that starts with a D and rhymes with out, and it gets us in all kinds of trouble. What's that word? We doubt. We, the righteous shall live by faith. And yet, we, we've kind of forgotten the mantra of what's going on. Christ died that you might have life, and life everlasting, right? How does that work, okay? That's the agenda. There's another verse that says, I have been blank with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but he who lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. Jesus died for us, for all, for God to be obedient. In fact, I've made this statement over and over. We could talk about what was accomplished on the cross every single week and never run out of things to cover. But watch this one for today. He was crucified so that you could be crucified. Wait, I thought he was crucified so I didn't have to be crucified. No, he was crucified so that you could be crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but he who lives in. He, w- he died and sacrificed his life so that you could give up your life. What? I kind of like my life, Scott. (laughs) Yeah, we'll give it up and see if it gets better. Here's the problem. Think of these phrases, okay? I'm going to say some phrases. And instead of thinking about what they mean, I want you to think about how you feel when you hear these phrases, okay? You no longer live. You've been crucified. Pick up your cross daily. Okay, how do those start to feel? Oh, wait a minute. I was going along pretty well. And you benched me? I just scored. You benched. I just made pass. I just stopped the goal. I saved the game, whatever. And you're sticking me on the bench? Yeah. Because who's the star player on the team? We're at church. Ask the question. The answer is Heisman. God, Jesus, right? If you're always the star, guess who loses attention? God. And, and what false pretense are we building that you're somehow capable, that I'm somehow intrinsically valuable? No, value comes from outside of us. And we have to learn that. And God does that by benching you and when he puts you on the bench and this is the one that really gets me this is how i know who's on my team that i'm coaching we're in the field they're happy when i stick them on the bench i want to know what's their sideline behavior 
you cheering for the team? Are you even watching the game? I've had players, they get subbed, they come straight over the bench, they pull their shirt off, they start taking their shoes off, put their stuff away. I'm like, what are you doing? Are you not on the team anymore? What if you need to go back in the game? Well, say, you don't want me to play, then I don't want to play. Well, that's a tremendous attitude. (laughs) You're really good at being grumpy. You should practice that more because it will take you many places in life. Most of them, I won't be there, then I won't have to see you. Right? What are the ABCs of sideline behavior? And this is kind of simpleton, but I think it's why it's here in Scripture for us. As a reminder, act the angel. He says, you've been acting like an angel of God. You know what? Wherever you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter who cuts you off or um, does unwanted sign language to you. (laughs) I got that one the other day. How do you act the angel? Now, we say it like, what would Jesus do? Or how, how do you preserve your integrity? How do you act with righteousness? Those are fun ways to say it. I think today, the fun way to say it is, how how could you be angelic? Now, I hope for you, you're better at this than I am. I need a lot of practice being angelic. Because when people cross me, amygdala? My amygdala goes off, which is awesome, because I didn't really know I had one. I'm really excited I have an amygdala, but it goes off and it gets me in trouble because I think I've been wronged and I need to administer justice or teach them a lesson or explain it to them or sabotage them. That's a fun one, especially it's on the sly and they don't even know. Ooh, Scott, you're like really dark. I'm not sure you qualify to be a pastor. Then we're in agreement, right? Sometimes you got to... This is learned behavior. You need to practice. Great news, though. Whatever investment you make in being angelic, finding your responsibilities, keeping them up, showing up on time, coming prepared, um, uh, watching what comes out of your mouth. How about this one? The ones people don't see. The thoughts you have in your head. I had a moment the other day, and I admitted it to Julie. Um, she was very nice to me. I said, I, I really think I need to change my attitude about something, and I'm having a really hard time about it. <laughs> you know what she did? She was very nice. She was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> mm! No, you're supposed to be on my side, right? We have to practice this. David somehow pulls this off to where a foreign king, probably uh, with a few references to the Hebrew God, says, you kind of act like these angel things that I hear about your people talking about. Whoa. There's a subtle thing that's going on here that I absolutely love. Because where is David supposed to be? David's supposed to be with the Hebrews. He's supposed to be serving Saul. Saul wants to kill him, but he's supposed to be finding a way to serve Saul and do that. And he's not. And yet from this foreign king, he gets a reminder of who he is. Remember where you came from, David? Remember that God who has angels? You're acting like them. What do the commanders of the Philistines say? What's this Hebrew doing with us? I love it. 
the commanders of the foreign army are reminded David who he is. When you act the angel, when you act with righteousness, when you try to follow the things that God has projected to us, uh, created, ordained for us to do, you can't help but be on the path to bumping into him again. And we're going to see it. David's going to come back to the Lord. I think he's far from him now, but I think he's going to come back to the Lord. We're going to see it kind of. It really happens in Second Samuel, which we're going to get into in our future. We'll have a different series when we finish chapter 31 in a couple weeks because we all need a break from Samuel. Amen? How do you act the angel? All right, that's A. What's next? B. B. I thought B was too, too easy of a B to put in my ABCs. So we had to get a second B as your ABCB. Man, Scott, you're weird. B what? what? Anybody guess what this is? It's in the verse. Be better. Be better? That's good. It's kind of like, it's kind of like uh, be angelic, but better still leaves room for failure, right? Be best, that's, that's pretty good. There's actually a word. No, you're in the sound booth. You have the answer. Oh, did he, did he put it up there? Uh, we're going to have um, audiovisual training if you'd like to join the team. Be blameless. Akish says, hey, I know, as the Lord, you've been blameless. There's another word for that. Perfect. You've been right. You've been good. You've followed. You've been obedient, whatever. How do you be blameless? In the midst of the wicked and the evil and people posting stuff about you or uh, family member members turning on you, ever had that one? That's a fun one. How do you be blameless before God when things don't go your way and you're angry with Him? In fact, the Bible has a great... Uh, verse where it says be angry and yet do not sin Ooh, how do we do that that's the anger issue i want to have i can do anger easy doing anger without sin sin free anger well there's a concept i need to learn that one i know you all have it down just reminder do it okay be blameless um i think it happens twice in verse six so that's not a typo I just wanted to make sure we accentuated that. You can go back and look at these um, later. Uh, lastly, cooperate with commanders. He actually does what Akish says. He actually does what the commanders of the Philistines, in opposition to the king, suggest to the king. The king changes his mind after making him a vow. They had a deal, a pact. And he says to David, uh, how about just go back to that, you know, go hang out in Ziklag. Which, by the way, that's the name of the place that had given go go just twiddle your thumbs and sick like and in the very next couple words david does it i think i'm putting up a fight or arguing or something or i'm bailing and just saying forget this philistine it's not working out i'm gonna go join the hebrews right now but david has this thing in his personality which says mm, maybe i'll be obedient maybe i'll be cooperative you know, that, that's a learned thing, too. 
You know where he's learning what he's learning though? He's learning how to follow a commander. That's huge. Because here's a church question. Who's the ultimate commander? God. We have to learn how to take orders from outside ourselves. Unfortunately for David, he's made some poor choices. He's having to learn how to take orders from outside himself in a, in a negative situation. But it's still a, a worthy lesson. And I tell you what, it's a lesson our culture rages against. What's our culture say? Truth comes from where? Within. Truth is, they, they, they say um, truth is in your family because it's a relative, right? <laughs> truth is relative. What's that mean? That what Fred thinks is true is true for him, and it doesn't matter if it's true for anybody else. Really? I always like to say, well, is that truth relative? <laughs> is all truth relative? As a statement, is that statement of truth being relative, is that a relative statement? It's a circular argument that crashes their stance. Yesterday, we sat up here, I think there were six of us, panel discussion on uh, how should the church approach missions moving forward. One of the questions that was, how does the church protect against current culture and what's happening in other countries and even in the United States? And I'm looking at the panel and I was like, I turned my mic on. I got this one. I said, here's what we do. We actually teach Scripture. We actually teach the Bible. It's the only place on the planet where that is done. And it is the only place that truth comes from. And truth comes from outside of us. And our culture thinks that truth comes from inside of us. And that's why they're getting involved in all kinds of sexual stuff. You can do anything you want in your political party. And it doesn't matter what they do as long as you're loyal because you think being loyal to your side is more important than truth that's subjective rather than a relative a universal truth I said the problem that we're having in most countries and especially this one is that men are trying to decide what they think is right and anytime your origin for truth is within you you're going to be in trouble the best thing we can do as a church is teach culture that truth comes from outside of us by us doing it ourselves and saying we are Christ-centered and biblically-based and we must demand that of our men because men drive the ship, protect the house, hold the keys, and I don't care what anybody says. Well, that was a little scary. <laughs> Most of culture won't espouse any things that were just said. And yet, I said this too, generally in most churches, what is the healthiest area of ministry? Women. Women's Bible study. <laughs> Laughing well. We got two different offerings. They're killing it. I got a I got an update from our Wednesday study. Oh, we had this umpteen million people were approaching 20. We need more books. We need more of this. We need more time. It's like, yes, go. And my question for that is, in all the churches, where's the men? 
And it's why I make such a big deal about it at our church. It's why we offer it twice. It's why I go to them and lead them because our culture needs an example. And it has that example. Jesus Christ, our Lord, who knew how to take orders from his commander. And yet for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Did he do it because he wanted to do it personally himself? I would kind of argue yes, because he is God. But he was taking orders and he did it. And he set an example. He says, I can take instructions from the outside. And we need to start teaching culture that. Our kids need to learn that. They start figuring out after mom and dad can't protect them at school or solve this or solve that and they hit 18 and they have to go out and be in the real world and all of a sudden nobody cares about their experiences or their excuses or their limitations or they either showed up to work and get the job done or they get fired, right? You pay your bill or you don't and then it gets repossessed. That's how it works. Stuff comes from outside of us. When we learn that, we're getting closer to being, nevertheless, blameless? The best we can. Now, before we close, I've got to remind you, was David viewed as blameless by all of the Philistines? Was David, in this scenario, blameless before the Hebrews? So, who was he blameless before? A case, the one dude. And maybe God? Never get stuck on Akish's opinion. You're going to be able to find an Akish everywhere you go. You will be able to find someone who will agree with you. When the rest of culture disagrees, you can find at least one who says, oh yeah, you could probably die, and yeah, you should go do that. <laughs> no. The only opinion that matters that we derive our definition of blameless before is we're at church. God. That truth, that definition, that direction, that path, that understanding, that mystery, all of it comes from outside of ourselves. And that's why Women's Bible study is doing so well. That's why men sharpen men. We work on that together to get better because learning from outside of yourself is never innate. It has to be trained. You have to catch that disease. Subscribe to it. Show up to it every week. That's when it happens. And here, here's what I'll say to the youngsters. If you are young in chronology or if you're young in faith, new to faith, let the mysteries be mysteries. But never let your questions deride you from following. Have your questions, but keep following until you figure it out. There are answers. They may come later. Here's what I'll say to the more experienced chronologically or developed in faith you got a lot of answers bank on them believe them to the full extent of your ability and then make them known show them to other people maybe maybe you, you feel like oh, I've, I've kind of know what I need to do I, I don't really need to go to men's ministry 
Maybe you don't, per se. Who does? Them. They. The ones you could invest in. I will always remember and be grateful for Dan Harper because we had this conversation. It's like, oh, I'm kind of old. What do I have to offer? Like, Dan, you've been down the road that everybody else is on. Come share that road with everybody. Give them a little wisdom. Give them a little insight. Encourage them. Pray for them. You could be like a sage. Monks, they all look up to you, the whole thing. And guess what he became? He was like grandpa. Everybody loved right? You have things you can offer at all times. Do it. There you go. Now, I fear I have been Bible study-centric today. It's less than a commercial. It's just an example. I realize Bible study is less effective for some people. Find your way that you do discipleship. Find your way that you do spiritual development. Figure out what it is. It could be a couple's group. It could be you meet with a guy when true discipleship that's ahead of you or lady with the lady, whatever. Find your way. If you're a worship person, you should have tracks and tracks loaded in your car that you're listening to while you're going. If you're a spoken word person, you should have podcasts that you're listening to. If you're a reader, you should know where you could find different versions of scripture and be looking at how it's said differently because that somehow inspires you. If you're none of those and you're a physical activity, find somebody you can serve. Find a ministry to serve. Go be a team mom or uh, assistant coach for whatever. But figure out what it is and get on that journey. Amen? If you've never started. You could say a prayer like this to God. Today. One word. Today. It starts today, God, me and you. Today. And every day from now on, today. What do we do? David's kind of failing to say that in this passage. But he's going to come back to it. And we're going to figure out how to be blameless nevertheless. Amen? Father, we thank you for what we get to understand that you allow us knowledge and insight. You reveal things to us. Lord, we're thankful in, in a weird way. We're thankful from the things that you hide from us that might be distractions or, or reveal to us later. I pray you give us a contentment of patience to take everything in your time. And may we always work on who we are with you. May that be the priority. May you be the priority. Help, you help us with our anger. Help us with our irrational Help us with the things that we pursue that are outside of you. And then show us the joy set before us. The change, the adjustment. What does it mean to give our life to you? And then, Lord, for those that start their relationship with you today. Bless them, Lord. Keep them. And if that's you, come, come talk to us after service. Let's, let's help you. Let's support you. We thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
how to be blameless. You see that uh, verse we sang? Clean hands, pure hearts, good grace. Those are good action items. How to keep your hands clean, your heart pure. How to be gracious. When God sidelines you, be blameless in His sight. Amen? Amen. Amen. Go with Him.